Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. You know, it's pretty easy these days to turn on the news or read something on the internet and become concerned and frustrated and anxious and depressed because of all the, the terrible stories. I'm trying to find the good stories that are happening during COVID-19 and, and share as many of those as I possibly can with each of you who listen to the Global Medical Device Podcast. And this episode is one of those moments. I had a chance to talk with Dan Purvis. Dan is the CEO and founder of Valentium. And on this episode of the podcast, Dan shares a story about Project V. And Project V is a collaborative venture between Valentium, Ventec Life Systems, and General Motors in their quest and effort to manufacture ventilators to meet the demand uh, for the world. So really exciting story. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And my have heard me say this before, and I, I tell a lot of people that I interact with that Recording podcast episodes is some of the most fun that I get to have at Greenlight Guru because I get to hear about all these exciting stories that people are are involved with and how they're really making a difference in uh, helping humanity. And today's episode, as I'm sure you can imagine, is one of those stories that I'm really excited to learn more about and to share with you all. And joining me to, to share this story is Dan Purvis. Dan is the CEO and founder at Valentium. So Dan, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. All right. Well, before we dive into the story and the project that you all have been working on, do you mind taking a few moments and I guess giving us uh, all a little bit of a high-level overview of who Valentium is and what you do and, and the types of projects you're involved with? You bet. You bet. So Tim Carroll and I started the company eight years ago with the dream of being an end-to-end design and development firm. So you could come to us with intellectual property and we could turn it from that all the way to a fully submitted and approved commercial medical device. And so we identified nine key areas in medical device, human factors, cybersecurity, test systems, electrical, firmware, mobile, cloud, mechanical, and then in the middle of all that systems engineering to tie it all together, where it's one-stop shop to have all of your design and development needs done. And increasingly now it's design development and manufacturing where we desire to to manufacture your device for you. But I guess I would say more importantly, uh, we started Valentium around a culture. And so that started at the core around a passion to change lives for a better world. And so uh, when we first started the company, we wanted to say why Valentium before we said what Valentium and why Valentium it can't be about cash. If I said, why John, you wouldn't say air. And yet six minutes from now, we'd both be dead, right? Without it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So cash is absolutely necessary in a business, but it's not the why. The why for us really emanated from our own personal desires, which is we exist to change lives for a better world. Yeah, that's a great story. You know, it reminds me of 
some of the why of with Greenlight too. I mean, it was, I won't share the story with you uh, today. Maybe we can talk about it at a later time, but uh, listeners have probably heard this, but my why started, you know, many years ago and I was a brand new product development engineer. And let's just say I suddenly realized that the products that I designed and developed could have a huge impact on the quality of life, either good or bad. So I wanted to you know, that's, I guess, since from then until now, that's been sort of my life mission from a professional perspective is improve the quality of life, have a part in that. So uh, that's a great story. Absolutely. So Dan, I I recently uh, learned about this kind of exciting project that that you and Valentium have been involved with. And, you know, we're in these weird times. I think that's a a safe description. But the weird times have also, um, I don't know, been encouraged by some of the humanitarian efforts, some of the the pivots that that some companies have made in order to meet the the healthcare demands of the world in in these weird times. And you've been involved in this project at Valentium. I'm, I'm excited to learn more about it. Do you mind elaborating a little bit? Oh, man, it's in in the almost 30 years I've been doing this, this would be by far the the highlight of my career to date. And uh, this all started with an article in Forbes where Chris Keipel, the CEO of Ventec Life Systems, made the comment in Forbes that they could build a lot more ventilators if they just had the resources and the help. And Tim and I reached out to Chris Keipel because he's a longstanding client of ours. We've built test systems for for Ventec for five years now. And we said, well, how can we help? And he put us in touch with his chief operating officer. We had a conference call with him. And in that conference call, it became obvious to me. I said, look, I think we, you would be best served if, if we had a representative in your office tomorrow morning when you have your 8 o'clock war room meeting, which you're having every morning at 8. He said, that would be great. And I had then the opportunity to decide with Tim who that was going to be. And we decided it would be me. <laughs> And then uh, telling your wife that you're about to go get on an airplane in the middle of these skyrocketing uh, cases yeah. and fly and then drive to within nine miles of ground zero for the United States where that this is, Ventec is within nine miles of, of where the nursing home was, where they lost all those people. And one of the hallmarks of that moment was I, I said, babe, you know, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And it was just the right thing to do. Uh, we have three values and we'll get into them over time. But one of those is honorable. We do right for right's sake. And there are just moments in your career or in your life, I hope for all of your listeners, that you come up against one of those moments where you just, you have to do it, right? And it, it, it superseded money. It superseded everything. I say a lot, we change lives for a better world and that starts with your family. And I talk to my staff about that, that we want to be a family forward company. And that may be you and your wife and your kids or you and your husband and your kids, or maybe you and your parakeet. I don't know what your family is, right? So, right. but, but the, I said, this is one of those moments where the entire world just stepped in front of your family. And we're no longer a family forward company. We're now a world forward company. Um, we're going to step into the fray and see what happens. And so I kissed her on the top of the head because she was weeping and couldn't really bring her head up. And, and I walked out the door and it felt kind of like going to war because it was a very empty plane. And, uh, and next thing you know, I'm there at Ventec Life Systems. I, I spent Thursday, this is like middle March, with them looking at ways to turn their uh, hundreds of units per month production facility into something that could do more. And they said, by the way, General Motors is coming tomorrow. And I said, well, why are they coming? And they said, well, we're not really sure yet, but we'll see. 
And that would have been Friday, March, I think the 19th. And oh, wow. literally within 90 minutes of them being there uh, on March the 20th, it was very clear to me that this was going to be at a scale like I had never been exposed to, never even imagined. And funny enough, for the next week, four very high-level executives in General Motors rode to the hotel and back with me in my little Mazda crossover. And I was like, I'm so sorry, I'm driving a Mazda right now. (laughs) (laughs) They all have their knees up by their chins because they're all crammed into this car. And that's just what I happened to get at the rental car place. And they have flown in on a Gulfstream. And so, you know, they... They didn't have a car. <laughs> well, you know, it seems like they should have had a nice Chevy Tahoe uh, waiting at the airport to pick you all up, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I made sure I rented one in Kokomo once we finally got to Indiana. That was for sure. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, that timing is, it was interesting because I remember hearing all these stories like GM's going to get into manufacturing ventilators and Ford. And, and I'm sitting here scratching my head. I'm like, mm, okay, I get that they have this awesome manufacturing capability, but just flipping a switch and saying, all right, we're going to stop the, the, uh, the Tahoe line and we're, now we're going to make uh, ventilators. It didn't seem like it would be that, quite like that. So how was that experience? The, the scale up from that Friday, the 20th of March through the next four weeks was remarkable. But that weekend was really crazy. I mean, we, we went up to Seattle, hoping to maybe double their production. Um, We became aware, even on that Friday, the 20th, that the goal was not hundreds per month, but thousands upon thousands per month, right? And so there was a moment on Sunday where the GM guys go, wow, there's a lot of parts in this thing. And and the head of Ventec, Chris Kaipel, goes, well, right. It's called the Voxen for a reason. V-O-C-S-N. Ventilator, oxygen concentrator, cough assist, suction, and nebulizer. It's a five-in-one yeah. device the size of a toaster yeah. oven. Yeah. It's a remarkable device. And they said, well, what if we built just a simple ventilator? And they said, oh, that'd be like just V or the V Pro is what they branded it. And that's where Project V came to, to be. And uh, I remember that they were talking about, well, I don't, I mean, would it, down the line, would it be a Voxen or would it be a V? And which one would it be? And one of the GM executives said, well, why don't we just do two lines? And huh. I was like, oh my gosh. And like, you know, just the, the scale of just let's yeah. just do more and let's do quicker. And quite honestly, they didn't, we didn't end up getting a purchase order for quite some time. I had a signed proposal, uh, but we bought multiple we, we, we bought a ton of money off of that signed proposal before we got the PO. And in the midst of that, you'll remember from the public events that uh, Trump and Mary Barra, the CEO of General Motors, like were negotiating, right? And so it was a little bit up in the air of, is this really going to happen or not? And in that moment, uh, we essentially bet the company that we're going to do the right thing. Because yeah. John, if it came down to your mom or my mom and they had one ventilator left and they're going to flip a coin, I didn't ever want that to happen to either one of our moms, right? And so uh, for sure. um, we just, we have to do this. And I sure hope that the business side works out. And then it, it did work out, but we didn't know that at the time. Well, I mean, and, and from, you know, that mid, late March timeframe to now, I mean, uh, that was two, that's been two months. And I got to imagine it's probably felt like 10 years, but... I, I, the pace at which you know this has happened. Talk a little bit about that, you know, and I guess share some of the obstacles and challenges that you encountered, and and how Lentium and Bintac and GM, what you did to overcome some of those things. Yes, yeah, so when when you have something of this magnitude, you want to change as little as possible from what already works, but the dramatic scale 
is is really remarkable. And so the first thing that you end up doing is you you set up tools that that will tell you the math doesn't lie, right? So you set up tools that say, well, here's what's necessary. And so uh, if you're going to test subcomponents on the device, you know what that subcomponent test time is. Uh, You know what the failure rate is on that subcomponent. You know what the maintenance time is on that test uh, system. And, And ultimately, you can say, here's how many units I need every hour. And based on that, here's how many test stands I need. And you start doing all that math and we did it all, and it came to 141. And so we need 141 test stands. And the original order we got from General Motors, which we rejected, had a delivery of March the 30th. And I got the PO on the 27th, right? And I was like, <laughs> uh, no, no. And, uh, and so one of the things is to stick to your values because your culture matters, right? As, as a device yeah. developer, we're in this business because we care. And, and I was like, look, I can't, I can't just accept the order as is. So we got the largest order in the history of our company and we rejected it. <laughs> and, and I rejected it over delivery. And I said, here's the delivery every day at whatever time and place and Zoom location you desire, I will let you know where the project stands. Yeah. And they said, but what's the date? I was like, there is no date because <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's like, this has never been right. done before at this scale. And the beauty of that is we ended up finishing three weeks ahead on the majority of the test systems of what the original date was going to be because every time we could, as a multi-company team, we moved things forward because when the curves were going up like they were, uh, you had to, right? You had to do it for humanity's sake. And so there were moments in that first week that I literally asked myself the question, am I bipolar or manic? Because what, what happens in a manic episode, as I've read at least, um, is you have this uh, majorly grand view of yourself and the task you're under, undertaking, and hence you have this unbelievable energy and you work crazy hours. And I was like, is this really, is this really real? Like, is this really as important? Is this really? And then I was back in my hotel and I was averaging you know, four to six hours a night in the hotel and I turned on Fox News and there was Mike Pence on, yeah. in the Rose Garden talking about this project. And I was like, wow, okay, this, that's this surreal. Absolutely real. Oh my gosh, this is bizarre. <laughs> and, uh, and so then I started calling people at all hours and anybody that I could think of that I thought could help this project, we would call. And so I have plenty of friends and neighbors here in Katy, Texas that are leaders and executives in their firm, but they're probably home right now. And I would call them, I'd be like, hey, you, you want to get back to your early purchasing days, I need you to help me source things. I called uh, manufacturing partners, suppliers that we know really well. And I was like, can you get your purchasing agents in your company finding parts that are impossible to find? But I got to believe that they exist somewhere in this grand globe of ours. Once you find them, let me know and then we'll buy them. Um, and then the the tools of today are are so much better than the tools of even a few years ago. We used Google Sheets aggressively mm-hmm. because you can you can pass them out to anybody with a Gmail. And so we had at times as many as fifty people in what we called the multi bomb or the multi bill of materials for sixteen different types of test stands. We had as many as fifty people in it. Some of them were engineers still specifying bills bills of materials because some of the test systems we were rec- replicating had been homegrown and hence the documentation pack uh, was was there. But then we also had a bunch of engineers there at Ventec taking videos of the insides of panels so that we can replicate, et cetera. And so designing bills of materials on the fly with, 
with engineers than purchasers buying those parts as they went above a line in every spreadsheet of saying, no, this is real now. This is not no longer just a working area. And then armies of people receiving all those parts. Uh, I could tell you a UPS story in a few minutes that is just amazing. And, and so you had people receiving, you had people designing, you had people ordering, and we had as many as 50 people in the sheet at, the, at a time. And then we also had to scale up some, some uh, subcontractors where I said, look, the amount of test stands that need to be built for my size company, I, I called a couple of contacts here in Houston, and we were able to employ all of our staff and all of two other company staff over that three to four week period. Wow. So it's like, you know, just, I mean, it's kind of like um, medical device product developments uh, on, you know, just like a, at a crazy scale. I mean, and I, I think that's for me, like I've heard of a few other stories of companies making, you know, pivots that you know, build either PPE products or, you know, other ventilator type devices. And what's been interesting to me is the the time frame has been truncated dramatically. I mean, it, you know, you, you mentioned you've been in this industry for a while. I have as well. And I can safely say never in my time in this industry have I seen people be so responsive and so quick and in so much uh, agility in their product development efforts. Just your Google Sheet example. I mean, you've got design and and purchasing and manufacturing that are all kind of happen in parallel. So that it requires a very concerted effort. Uh, that's got to be crazy complicated and crazy stressful, even though you know you're you're impacting humanity. What was that all? What was that experience like? Well, and add a couple of layers of we had uh, an executive order from the president to Ventec and General Motors to build these ventilators, and so I had that piece of paper, which got me through quarantines, and we sent couriers all over the country multiple times to go get a part because we didn't have time for shipment. So that was great. And, and the FDA had said, get ventilators out there at all costs. And so from a quality perspective, there's leeway, but there's leeway is different than just sound engineering, right? So you still have to make sure that, yes, we might be able to send a bunch of ventilators out the door. How do we make sure they're right, right? And so they have to be right. They have to help people and not hurt people. And so in the midst of all of this, full traceability of every part that has calibration to each unit, in the midst of this uh, full installation qualification, operation qualification, performance qualification, the IQ, OQPQ validation of every test stand has to happen because a component test is one thing, but final test is a whole other thing. If I ask for 60% oxygen out of this ventilator, I better have 60% oxygen. And so right. this idea that we're all racing towards this deadline of my mom or yours was huge. But at the same time, there was the weight of making sure that, okay, so we solved that there is a ventilator for both of our mothers. It needs to work, right? So Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. We had a whole nother group of our company that all they were working on was transfer to manufacturing from the design history file, uh, assuring that the device master record or the DMR was accurate. And then... Uh, perfect copies of every DMR into each individual device history record, the DHR, such that I've got a complete record of every test stand, all 141 of them in three and a half weeks. And we shipped the first test stand four days after we received a purchase order. And wow. so making sure that doc pack is complete because 
it's those test systems that assure that the ventilator is right. Folks, I want to remind you all, I'm talking to Dan Purvis. Dan is the CEO and founder at Valentium, and he's sharing uh, some of his experience with a recent project that he and the Valentium team and Ventec and GM were all involved with. Uh, they called Project V. You can certainly learn a heck of a lot more about Valentium by visiting their website. Uh, lots of great in, information there. And, and, you know, as Dan talked about, you know, it's really important that that we we have a purpose and a mission and a culture that's focused on on uh, true quality and, and humanity and, and improving that quality of life. But you can check their website out at valentium.com and that is V-E-L-E-N-T-I-U-M.com. So Dan, you, you said something about kind of a, a funny story about UPS. I'm curious now, I, I, I would like to know uh, that, that funny tidbit from the UPS uh, experience. Yeah, so we had a we had a situation where the, the back panel on a test panel is where you build all the electronics and then you stick it into the enclosure, right? So there is a back panel missing early on in the project and getting one of each kind of test system to the plant as quickly as possible was the the most critical part because that allowed you to start to flow through the plant. It allowed you to start to train operators on how to test, et cetera. And so, but we, we didn't have the back plate. And it was just lost in a UPS facility here in, in, in Houston. And so we sounded the alarm. It was supposed to show up on a Saturday. And uh, it was crazy. They weren't able to find it Saturday. And I got a call Sunday morning from the president of UPS, Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Louisiana. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I now have the cell number. Of, like, <sighs> if, if they're wearing brown in that four-state region, they ultimately work for this guy, right? So, um <laughs> And not only that, but then like the head of UPS Houston brought his son out on Sunday morning to our operation. I think it was probably part to show it, another to say, hey, we're looking for your panel and maybe a third to be like, are these guys for real, right? And they found yeah. a whole army of people working on panels. They're like, yeah, it really is for real. That guy proceeded to say, from now on, every morning, we're going to load a truck with just your stuff and take it directly to you. And oh, so cool. 10 a.m. arrivals, we got repeatedly at 7.30 instead. Um but then they also worked with us to say, here are the different places around Houston that have the absolute last uh, drop-off, including Intercontinental Airport, which is 9 p.m. And yeah. that's well past the published cutoff, right? So we had this one test system during this project that had to get there. And, and we're working like crazy in the plant. Then we're testing like crazy in the plant. Then we have to create it. Then we have to get it there. And, and I'm just doing the math. And I'm like, that... that car is going to arrive at 9.12, not at 9. And so I'm yeah. calling UPS from the top down. I'm like, look, we're doing our best. Can you hold the plane? It's raining. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and, and there's, a, there's a girl named Ricky who runs the facility up there. And Ricky said, no, we'll wait for you. And as our driver got up there, Ricky ushered her through the, the security gate. She drove onto the tarmac where the final container was waiting to go right onto the plane. And the security guy is like chasing our driver down and <laughs> she's going, no, it's okay. Ricky said it was fine. And Julie met Ricky and they put the, the, the test system on the plane and it was gone like three minutes later. But just time after time after time, we've seen the UPS folks uh, really buy into the same vision that, that we bought into, that we have a chance uh, here in the United States to work together to change lives, one ventilator at a time. The average ventilator, ventilator 
saves 10 lives. Uh, there's a guy named Manny who works for Ventec, and he's one of my favorite guys because uh, I was talking to him in that first week. And I said, Manny, do you like what you do? He was like, well, he, I'm on final test. And I know that every time I hit finish, that another 10 lives were saved. And he kind of teared up a little bit. And it's like the same thing that you feel with the tape machine. When you hear the tape, tape another box, that's 10 more lives. Yeah. Every time. And, and so uh, we just had a lot of partners like UPS that really got that, that they were not only thrilled to be a part, but they were honored to be a part. And it was really fun to see humanity band together in the midst of the risk and the uncertainty to, to truly change the world. I don't know. Like we didn't know at the point of time that we started this project. At that point, the curves were all going logarithmically up, right? It was right. like going crazy. And, and then the curves have started, they, they flattened for the most part. Uh, you just don't know though, like when you get the flu season in the fall and everybody is back to normal or, or whatever the new normal is, does it spike again? Well, it's nice to know that there's a plant to Kokomo that can churn out thousands of these every month, right? So yeah. um, should it be necessary? Uh, we're taken care of because of this industrial effort that happened. Yeah, that's just a great story. And, and I think, Dan, to, to kind of echo what I'm hearing you say is, yeah, this this pandemic has, has been tragic and, you know, a lot of lives have been impacted from this. And, you know, there's a different normal that every one of us is dealing with now. But to hear this story, I mean, it's just, you know, you got a car manufacturer changing their their manufacturing line and leveraging their expertise in manufacturing to produce ventilators and partners like Valentium and Vintec and then UPS jumping out. It's just, it's just a great story. So I appreciate you sharing that with me. But I guess before we wrap up, what can we do? Uh, what, what can listeners do? How, how can we help um, with anything regarding Project V or other initiatives uh, at this point in time? Well, certainly the I think the thing that each one of us can do before anything else is understand that each of our stories are different, that for every person that thinks that this is way overblown, there's another person who is absolutely terrified as, as a, a demographic that, that could really put them in danger. And so I think a, an open-minded understanding that everybody's story is different is key. And then the idea that we all work for the, the people who are at greatest risk. Like maybe uh, you run into people all the time that don't think they need a mask and maybe they don't need a mask because if they get it, they're going to be fine. But, but somebody else does, right? And so there's certainly that side of thing. And then in the midst of that, how can we creatively, we talk a lot around our company, around uh, our middle value is results plus plus. Is we, do, we do the job and then some. Now that we're all, for the most part, working from home, how do we continue to do the job? We, we talk about return to office, not return to work, because hopefully we're all working, right? But then at the same time, when, when your desk is in your bedroom or in your study, in your house, how do you make sure that at the end of every day, even if you're doing extremely meaningful work, that it's time to shut it down and go spend time with loved ones? And, and I don't know about you, but I, I've found that the, the, the groundhog nature of the home office in this very isolated world we live in is 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 oppressive on the brain right it's just uh, yeah. your emotions become it's just difficult and so what we found one of the things we learned through the project v story was i took risk after risk after risk some of those were business risks some of those were physical risks with travel and a lot of them were interpersonal or emotional risks i'm going to call this person and ask for their help and i can tell you that there was not a single time i asked for someone's help that i regretted it later 
right? And so I think what I would say is that in the midst of the isolation, if you have that inkling of like, man, I should reach out to that neighbor, or I should bake that cookie and deliver it in a no-touch environment or whatever that thing is that you get that urge to do, to do it. And, and whether that's in engineering or whether that's just in what we call human moments, uh, embrace those human moments. We would have a, we would have a rhythmic uh, set of meetings throughout this entire project uh, that whenever you're in this kind of hyper, hyper focused time, I would have a stand-up meeting every morning with the entire team. And then we had a leader meeting with four of us every night at, at 5.30 before we then got back to work for another six hours or so. But in, in that 5.30 leader meeting with the four of us, I started every one of them the same way. I said, give me a human moment. And the first few, they were like, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> right? and, yeah. and I said, a human moment is, is something that reminds each of the four of us that we are not just output producers, we're mm-hmm. human beings first. And so whether that's that you, you took a break and took a ride with your son, or you lost it and screamed at a supplier and then had to apologize. But th- those are human moments. There's, some of them are good and some of them are bad, but it's remembering those that make us human. And so I think if you were saying, what could we all do? It's to remember that in the midst of all of this isolation, uh, we're still together, one world and one community. And so the, the more that you can embrace those urgings to connect with people in a safe way, I think the better we'll all be. Yeah, that's, that's a really good reminder. And, you know, for me personally, there's, I mean, it is weird, you know, like I stepped three feet away from my desk and I'm now in my quote home, whereas three, three feet back, I'm in my workspace. And, you know, the the line is invisible, you know, there's, there's no barrier there, but remembering when to turn one of those things off and turn the other one on, I think is really important. And it's, it's been hard uh, for sure, but I think that there's a lot of good things that have me personally that I've observed and, and I hope that we see carry on uh, once the, you know, the pandemic situation is, I'll say quote over, whatever that means, but you know, just the human experience, I think is really important. So I appreciate you sharing that. I'm, I'm going to borrow that with my team um, and our uh, our daily Absolutely. meetings. So. All right. Well, Dan, I guess before we wrap up today, is there any parting thoughts or words that you want to share above and beyond what we've talked about so far? I think that the the question that I have tried to ask throughout this is is why not me? And you can ask that for yourself. You can ask that for your your family and your neighborhood. You can ask that for your company. Uh, we can ask that for our generation in, in this point in time. Why not me? And so this world is bettered by people that embrace their why not me moments and, and step into them. And that, by definition, involves risk. Because if it's truly a why not me moment, you're doing something you've never done before. And a healthy amount of terror around that is not necessarily bad because it means you're stretching yourself. But when you stretch yourself and do something you've never done before because you had that why not me moment and you stepped into it, uh, the, the quality of your life and the lives of all those around you, I think, is dramatically improved. And so I guess I would leave your listeners with that challenge of hmm. if you're facing a why not me moment today, or maybe you're facing a, a, a strange situation. There, there have been lots of furloughs in our country, right? There have been lots of layoffs in our country. Dream, dream, and find that why not me moment in that thing that you should learn and redefine your career for the next 20 years. And, and this could be one of the greatest moments in your story when you look back two or three decades from now, because in the midst of the turmoil, you embraced a why not me moment that was maybe internal around learning and redefined the next two decades of your life. So, 
So yeah, why not me? Yeah, it's very thought-provoking. I love it. Folks, help me. I, I guess I want to thank, once again, Dan Purvis. Dan is the CEO and founder at Valentium. And Dan, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be uh, a guest on the Global Medical Device Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And folks, uh, Dan talked about a lot of things like design history files and device master records and bills of material and all the documents and records uh, that might are, are definitely necessary as a medical device company. Realize that Greenlight Guru, we're here um, to help you. We've built the only medical device quality management system in the market designed by actual medical device professionals. And especially in these times, but even out of our normal times and circumstances, Greenlight enables that remote work. We have a platform that's designed specifically to align with FDA 20, 1345, Part 11, 14971, all the things that we need need to care about as medical device professionals. So I would encourage you, if you're interested in learning more about that, to go to www.greenlight.guru. And uh, we'd be happy to chat with you and see if we might be able to help you with your quality system needs. As always, uh, this is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.